0: You are listening to Dirt Work with Adam Morrissey. Hi, and welcome to Dirt Work. This is your host, Adam Morrissey. This podcast is brought to you by Trumont Construction and MarketScale. We're joined today by Christopher Hernandez, a civil engineer from Kimley Horn, to talk to us about changes in the civil engineering industry and then also some exciting not-for-profit work that Christopher and others in the real estate communities are doing to help the next generation of leaders, so Christopher, to kick us off, if you could just talk a little bit about how you see civil engineering's role in the urban planning and development space.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. So as as cities change, so do the specifics of how a civil engineer gets involved, uh, change and develop. But we are always integrally involved in in the core fundamentals of uh, land. Uh, the population, the civilization of, and, and stewardship of all of those, you know, whether it was uh, ancient Mesopotamian groups who were trying to uh, figure out a way to irrigate their land and, and create a, a place that could sustain them just in terms of the food they had to eat to the sustainability issues of today, which include, uh, you know, structural modifications and uh, more attention to hydraulics and hydrology and all of these various new applications of physics and construction that we've uh, many people have never thought of or heard of before Uh, you know it's a it's a very dynamic space but there's always a tie-in to what we need from the very basics to sustain us as people and as communities we always have to figure out how to protect ourselves from nature while also protecting nature we have to figure out how to create systems that will sustain the people who are living upon it and living with it at all times. So we always have to have all parties in mind as we're designing and, and developing the, the cities in which we live. Yeah,
0: sure. That, that's really dynamic and a lot there. Uh, you mentioned the Mesopotamians. Would you say they were the first civil engineers of sorts? And you know what sort of things were they Inventing to solve the problems like protection and nature
1: and such. So the the Mesopotamians were were some of the earliest engineers to be sure. And although there are there are many old forms of engineering and uh, appearances of engineering via ideas of structures and, and geometry and those sorts of uh, applications of physics. Um, you know, all throughout time, as soon as we had the need to build structures around ourselves to protect ourselves from the elements, you know, those are some of the first applications of engineering. But what you really saw in Mesopotamia and then even uh, throughout the the Far East in, in East and Southeast Asia were agricultural practices that because they're so intimately tied to the shape of the land, what the land itself could sustain and produce and how the land could be manipulated by people in order to maximize the efficiency uh, for the people towards those aims. And in particular in Mesopotamia and in the Far East, these ideas surrounded food production, you know, in in China and Korea, all the way back to almost 4,000 BC, there was a terracing of of the foothills of large mountains so they could turn them into rice paddies, right? And in Mesopotamia, although there's a, a, this portion of the Fertile Crescent, you have to figure out how to settle between rivers in these large flood basins in a way such that, you know, you won't get overrun with a flood uh, and lose your entire home, but you have to be close enough such that you can utilize these rivers to, to maximum effect. You know, water has always been the core of civilization. Uh, how we use it, how we consume it, uh, how we affect it when it hits the earth before it goes off into these rivers, but uh, humans have always had to flock towards these these sources of water. It's it's the stuff of life, right? So when you when you go back into ancient civilizations, those are the the deepest ties to civil engineering that I that I see.
0: Yeah, and when you look at the history of civil engineering, you know you mentioned things like care and stewardship, and also when talking about you know the Eastern cultures, would you say it, it was a discipline that
1: Went from east to west. I, uh, I think that's fair. Um, you know, uh, when looking at some of the older civilizations that had the the opportunity to develop themselves and uh, collect and, and and form collectives that would carry them through time, especially when when civilizations arguably were were less stable, um, you really had to create those, those core cultures of uh, supporting one another and seeing yourself as part of a shared system. And I think some of those concepts did take on, uh, they, they, they took root in, in the East in, in certain governmental structures. And then also in the Middle East, uh, you know, by, by way of different religious practices, these ideas of, of community support development uh, structures, uh, appreciation of science as well throughout the Islamic world really took engineering into, into new paths, you know, in the, in the eight hundreds AD. And of course, as, as the Western world simply developed a little bit later than the Eastern world and, and some of the histories that we're familiar with, um, and how we describe development and especially urban development. Sure. Uh, east, East to West is, uh, is how it's been historically.
0: Yeah. You know, it is really amazing the importance of engineering on some of those older civilizations because, you know, we were talking uh, earlier on the show about the idea that we're able to connect remotely before you, you had to be there live. So when you were going to a new city, the things to marvel outward, the structures and the engineering. Um, so with that as a backdrop, how would you say, lo- big loaded question, how has civil engineering changed most drastically? Um, to connect the dots from then to now.
1: Well, a lot of the engineering that we do today, if it's if it's performed very well and very effectively, you probably won't ever see it. You know, save for the combination of engineering and architecture uh, in in the structures that we see. A lot of engineering today, uh, it it pairs with technology in a way that that can make some of the processes. Uh, go behind the curtain whereas say formerly if i were performing traffic counts to try to effectively time this traffic signals throughout a city's system you send people to every single intersection during intervals of time to actually count cars and people who are using this intersection right but if we can utilize camera and sensor technology well all of a sudden not only does it free up that traffic and transportation engineer to potentially focus on a uh, bigger picture problems or more creative solutions, it also still accomplishes the same task that formerly was a very human act of counting, right? But if we can form these processes that can act for us, we can free up our own capacity to to try to further engineering even more. So to piggyback
0: off that, what sort of platforms and tools and technology are you guys using to do that? Is it artificial intelligence? Is it uh, machine learning, which is is obviously in the same realm there, but how are you guys attacking those
1: problems? So it uh, it it really depends on the application, and you know, uh, technologically there are there are all different solutions that can come into play depending on the type of civil engineering that you're trying to perform. For myself in site civil land development, where I'm working with. Uh, wet and dry utility layouts and design, roadway design, the, the applications of technology are really in the, uh, the processing systems and the graphics and generation systems that can effectively model the standards that are built into every single city's ordinances and requirements. Right. The more that we can use these technologies to become smart enough to recognize and, and have programmed into them, these different restrictions on what our designs may be, the easier those designs become to achieve. For instance, if a city has a bare minimum for the depth of a sanitary sewer and a water pipe below a finished grade, and I can program into AutoCAD to recognize what my finished grade surface is, and then create a data link back to this sanitary sewer system, it can then automatically let me know that I have uh, breached a certain limit or a certain restriction. And AutoCAD, uh, uh, you know, the the Autodesk company and Bentley as well are really integrally tied in with civil engineering firms who help give them feedback into what would be effective uh, to be built into their softwares to to help us further our, uh, you know, our, our own goals in our own professions. So it's really um, it's sort of a technocratic and and capitalist approach to like how do we make these jobs easier to do what can we push towards ideas of machine learning and you know to to answer your question maybe in in a more um, with a simple term it's just sensors right so the more that we can teach these computerized systems to sense or interpret something in the way that a person used to have to do that be it watching a car go through an intersection or uh, back checking the depth of utilities against uh, a, a proposed finished grade it is uh, the recognition of a restriction or a threshold and then the processing of that information so the machine learning aspect is you program in all the questions and back checks that you want to occur along the way and then you have the machine sense those occurrences for you and then you just can go straight to your solutions instead of uh, looking for all these these problems all the time.
0: Sure. How do, you know, you mentioned the work you're doing in land development. How do the problems that are impacting cities vary from place to place? So take like a Dallas where, you know, it's more sprawling and you know, growth is happening now versus more established cities such as New York or Los Angeles.
1: So... Dallas, in it, it's currently increasing density. You know, in these, in, in these, in these last few years since uh, the Great Recession, Dallas is having to face a lot of friction between people who are looking for maybe what they grew up knowing Dallas as, uh, in in where you used to be able to experience maybe a little bit more of a degree of, of independence and separation. Uh, it, we're having to face issues of, of urbanism and densification that are are new to certain areas and certain sort of sub-communities within the Dallas region. And we're having to come to terms with what it means to be a, a growing and thriving city and how we have to change the way that that we live life you might not see uh, nearly as many arguments in in say the tri-state area at, at at public hearings for uh for or against uh you know a big multifamily development that's going in because those are they're they're simply uh, more occurrences of them up there the populations are are more comfortable and familiar with it well you know as you're really trying to become a city of the future you you grapple with these ideas of of access, and whether that means access via transportation or access via having housing in a certain location, there's a push and pull of the anticipated future in that community and people who are coming in and helping it grow into into something new and change as it goes and as it grows. And those who would maybe see, hey, this is what we're familiar with, this is what we're comfortable with, and this is more in vain with how we would like our community to remain.
0: When you look at, you know, those are great local examples, but when you look at engineering, do you think the challenges that exist for the next generation of engineers are local and more nuanced or, or systematic and pervasive?
1: I think the I think the greater, the greater issues and the greater problems of our generation in terms of our actual Health and well-being will surround uh, global ideas and concepts where uh, where it ties into you know our usage of of materials and waste management and processing and how that affects the infrastructure of a city to uh, you know what what we do with our goods our material goods after we consider them used are we are we disposing of these things properly or are they ending up in our floodplains? And if they are ending up in our floodplains, do we have certain uh, best management practices implemented along those floodplains to say, collect the waste before it gets to an open water source uh, where potentially it, it it returns to our drinking water, which is one aspect of civil engineering, or whether it goes on to impact the ecosystem further by way of affecting uh, plants and animals that are that are further on down that line. Uh, you know, all of these things are of, are a very significant concern to civil engineers, uh, it, it, especially floodplain management. You know, as a city becomes more and more densely developed, we really start to push the internal and the external boundaries of. Uh, of of the places in which we live, so we're starting to really push the limits of how close we we are coming to say uh, our floodplains, our rivers, our creeks, oceans, and we are increasing our recognition of what our impacts are on these things as we as we further develop, and then engineers have to turn that new degree of education back into a new level of of respect for certain aspects of infrastructure and and care for the earth as a whole.
0: You know, what sort of technologies or practices are being implemented to help build some of that more global infrastructure?
1: It, it's interesting, the term uh, global infrastructure, because right right before you you said it, what was coming to mind for me was uh, really simple down-to-earth solutions that when you implement them uh, broadly but potentially on on smaller scale developments in uh in a in repeated occurrences then you can start to make a very large scale change with these smaller uh, incremental solutions uh you and i have have discussed in the past some ideas of a reduction of infrastructure as a way to allow more natural systems to take place Um, you know, ideas of uh, blending a new technological advancement in a a pavement system with a landscape structure. So you can actually allow, uh, you can allow grass and, and other wildlife to to thrive and live as it needs to, while also providing a stable enough ground to support emergency vehicles. You know, if you're talking about floodplain cleanups, uh, one solution that that can be implemented in in just about every place is uh, nets that you can that you can deploy along floodplains, especially in areas that you know to generally have high contents of uh, litter. Depending on where you are in different places, um, you know, and just the act of physically collecting those things in one place by a passive mechanism uh it it again comes back to the idea of simple things to free up human resources who can then take their thoughts and energy and apply them to more complex problems so we're looking for incremental and simple solutions sometimes uh cutting a gap in a curb and allowing the water to flow over the grass and into the floodplain downstream, rather than potentially uh, installing a, a an inlet, 100 feet of storm drain and a headwall at the outfall. You know, Potentially there are more natural solutions we can use that uh, cost a developer less money. They produce less infrastructure that a city has to maintain and, and obtains ownership of after the development of the project, uh, which is very often the case Uh, to uh, no effect on the ground itself because the water is simply uh, flowing over the grass in a natural state, right? There are are different things that cities are increasingly willing to look at in terms of uh, urban and suburban redevelopment and how we might do things a little bit differently over time and produce broader changes uh, as we go.
0: Yeah, there seems to be a little bit of a renaissance to more natural approaches kind of pervasively you know you talk about the rise of compost Um, and even the other day I was at the dentist oddly enough and I was talking to my dentist about you know what did people do before modern dentistry and he said well you know how you've seen a lot of skulls in museums and such that have all their teeth we didn't need dentistry until Uh, the agricultural revolution or sugar. So it, it seems like you're alluding to a lot of the problems we're solving are kind of human problems that we're working around with natural solutions.
1: And to be sure, not all of the problems that arise in our civilizations are necessarily due to mistakes, right? When we build infrastructure that may have produced a thriving community in its heyday, uh infrastructure ages everything uh naturally ages right so what becomes difficult for cities through changing times is how do we continue to uphold the the commitments that we've already made to our citizens by way of of developing an area and enabling people to live or to work there how do we sustain the commitments to those people while also developing a new and enabling a community to, to also thrive through growth, right? There are always those those things uh, that are sometimes counterbalances.
0: Shifting gears a little bit from land to people, Christopher, I know you're involved with the Urban Land Institute Building Industry Leaders Group. Tell us a little bit about what type of work you guys are doing there.
1: Building Industry Leaders, uh, as you well know by now, is is a, a very exciting program for me. It's It's Really uh, a wonderful thing to to be a part of and a way that we as professionals can connect with the youth in our communities, whether or not um, we grew up here, all went to school in the same different places because, you know, as we've alluded to here, we're all part of the same community and should be aiming towards some of these shared fundamental goals of of ethical treatment of, of one another and respect for where we live and the people with whom we live. And it's really wonderful to be able to see how some of those concepts really connect so simply with the youth in, 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 in various communities. So I've been involved in, in these educational programs in New York City and in uh, Dallas now and uh, building industry leaders in particular This partnership that was initially between uh, ULI in Dallas-Fort Worth in Dallas first, then a few years into uh, working with the Boys and Girls Club of Greater Dallas, uh, branched out to connect with communities in Fort Worth. We have since spread to Houston as well. So these, these partnerships that we build where we find teams of students at various Boys and Girls Club locations, and these students might not initially have any former knowledge of, or interest in the professions that fall within real estate and development, which are the focus of our program, you can still find ways to impart the importance of some of the skills related to these professions to the students and sometimes inspire Uh, excitement about our professions along the way. And a student might find that they think that landscape architecture is is quite a fun way to pair their love of nature with um, ideas of uh, wanting to be impactful in a physical way upon their community. So as we work with these teams of students and take them on site visits to different developments, uh, whether it be to discuss how an aging mall in a strong cultural uh, community center in dallas can be turned into a multi-use development of the future or if we are visiting a once wax paper factory converted into a transit station now a center a central hub for arts and entrepreneurship uh, that is Tyler Station in Dallas. There are all sorts of opportunities that these students have to learn and connect the dots in a way that they probably haven't before. You know, people don't necessarily walk around, uh, teaching students about the importance of where the water that falls from the sky hits the pavement and where it flows far downstream and where that water ends up going after the fact, right? Why, why there are certain restrictions on why you can use property in a certain way, in a certain place, and what, what different ordinances and restrictions are set in place to influence how a certain type of community develops and what communities are responsible for Uh, towards the people who live there you know while these students are learning about construction and development and civil engineering and finance these things all really tie into a general set of life skills of of self education and self-betterment and advocacy of yourself you know some of the concepts that these students are learning about by way of ideas of real estate and development they're also figuring out potential solutions for themselves in the future, whether or not uh, they are going to attend college and pursue a professional degree, whether they're going to try to enter the construction industry uh, through a trade and, and pursue professional fulfillment in that way, whether a student who likes math and didn't really understand what a good outlet might be you know we we have a finance session to to help students realize that there are uh, there are different outlets for um highlighting the skills that you have and then trying to capitalize on those and also because it's it's such a team-centric structure in these projects that we work on you learn to leverage the strengths of the people around you and, and to lean on each other you know when these students are uh, working in, in a relatively competitive atmosphere of um, you know sort of boys and girls club versus boys and girls club as they're each trying to uh, develop their own idea of a site that would uh, bring a positive impact to their community, whether we have them designing a multifamily site uh, or, a, or a hotel or a vocational school, they really learn to depend on one another and they figure out how to highlight um someone's capacity for presenting in front of a group. You know, that that can really be something that someone doesn't realize they have that but through Repeated discussions of projects and concepts in a way that is different from the standard classroom environment. You know, we in, we encourage a lot of talking and collaboration. Uh, you know, we really think we can make a, a, a positive impact on some of the students who come through our program. And, you know, if their smiles have anything to say about it, I think they're, they're, they're pretty happy with how it's going.
0: That's awesome to hear, Christopher. Yeah, for my limited involvement with it, I, I loved how you guys always think big. The projects are of massive scale, like the Redbird project in South Dallas. I love how they're involved in their own communities and gives them a little bit more investment and a voice in their areas, even at a young age. And then to your point, the exposure to the skills and the ideas and, you know, the things that aren't even specific to uh, real estate and development, such as, you know, presentation skills and that confidence are really invaluable. So I appreciate you highlighting on that important thing that is happening in the real estate industry. Have you, how long has the program been around Christopher?
1: So we've done, uh, five iterations of the program, uh, fully in Dallas at this point and Fort Worth is currently in its second year and Houston is uh, doing its first iteration of the program right now. Uh, We really hope to spread to many other cities because, you know, what what we find, especially in the collaboration between the Urban Land Institute, uh, the professionals who represent it, and the Boys and Girls Club, um, you you have a group of people who are all committed to uh, their communities and their responsibilities and, and, and their professionalism in such a way that you know, the students can not only depend on each other, but they can depend on the Boys and Girls Club leadership to uh, to help guide them when they're not in the sessions with the real estate and development professionals. They can depend on their Boys and Girls Club mentors to drive them to and from sessions. You know, they can depend on us to, uh, to provide food for them when they come straight after school, you know, a whole entire day of learning. Well, then they get to go to the Boys and Girls Club and, and learn more with us. I mean, just the, the commitment that it takes uh, from all angles to be able to repeat this year after year it you know it all it all comes down to the people who have been involved and you know these are two just excellent organizations for for making that happen.
0: Yeah, with five iterations in Dallas, has there been any great success stories, such as kids going on to get internships, or is it too still too early for that?
1: It it is not too early. In fact, we've we've had great success already. Um, you know, a, a, a few of our professional partners have uh, you know once. a a company and its leadership is able to see some of their young people and and the passion they have for interacting with uh, some of our our high school youth in Dallas, it's really, it's hard not to get that infectious excitement about it. And, um, you know, I'm thinking of Pape Dawson in particular and one of our partners, uh, Ashley Williams, who helped get a Dallas student um, to carry on Littles, an internship that I think he's going to repeat this summer and work with a single family land development group. And, you know, it, it was it was I, I knew he was an attentive and excited student. He's always passionate. He's always respectful. He always shows up. But when we were walking around a site uh, last fall and he started talking to me about where a detention pond might go in their single family development, you know, so they don't produce too much runoff, uh, you know, I, I just had to I had to put on a big smile at that one that, you know, he, he's in it, He he's You know, he's really thinking about some of these concepts in a considerate way. And, you know, he he inspires some of his peers, Um, you know, our our partners at Studio Outside. Also, they they skipped the internship phase. And once they saw uh, one of our other students from Lincoln High School a couple years ago, once they saw some of some of his artistic work and his capacity for creativity, by way of uh, a studio outside employee working with the Building Industry Leaders program, you know, his excitement and his passion combined with the impressiveness of this young student, they they hired this young gentleman to uh, to work for almost a year at, at studio outside doing landscape architecture work, uh, you know, before he had even gone through college, you know, so to give someone an opportunity for a paid job straight out of high school while they're trying to get their the beginning of their adult life in order, that's, an excellent source of support like uh, you know i i really hope that he can look back in time and and see that as an opportunity that helped him change his own future right we we're, we're not changing people's future and outcomes but we're giving opportunities to collaborate together so that they can do whatever they want with themselves right with whatever skills and knowledge we might be able to impart and we're seeing our students really start to um to capitalize on that you know, we we had a student a few years ago um, I believe she went to James Madison High School. Who, uh, no, I'm sorry. We have another impressive Lincoln student. Um, she thought her future was was going to be in college sports and and profession professional sports eventually, and she very well may have had the capacity for that. But after an injury, she really dove deeper into the books. You know, found that 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 she was uh, quite a mathematician and bookworm, and uh, she excelled in the program and. Uh, you know, helped earn scholarships for herself uh, on the academic side, and then she decided to go to college for civil engineering and computer science as a double major. No joke. So, I, what I want to see is more students who are, who are getting into exciting things like that. You know, if you want to tell me who's the civil engineer of the future, it's the one who also knows how to capitalize on, on the machine learning and artificial intelligence and technological solutions that we're inevitably moving towards. That's going to be an exciting group of students.
0: Absolutely. How, how do others get involved, Christopher?
1: Um, others can get involved with, uh, it, you know what, before before that, I, I have to highlight another program that I haven't personally been involved in, but is really similar in structure and has been successful since 1994. And that's the uh, ACE Mentor Program, which, again, teaches concepts of architecture and uh Construction and engineering, so very similar in the uh, general course material, even similar in its total duration of coursework for the students, which will be about forty hours of classroom time and maybe extra effort as as they see fit and and want to get together. Right, but there there are multiple opportunities out there for for people to get involved, and and you don't have to dig too deep beneath the surface to find different ways to uh to be impactful. You know whether it's uh going and uh joining a chapter of a, of a local organization such as the urban land institute and uh just learning about uh you know potentially the urban plan program as well which is more centered on uh city planning and and um the infrastructure side as well you can really just um you know get in touch with your own personal connections uh should you be lucky enough to have some of those in the development industry and um you know just just ask around and and uh, and meet people you know on the ULI website there's a, a great short list of uh some of the founders and leaders of the building industry leaders program uh Josh Goad um Jack Simone uh Scott Hotchkiss and and Laura Oslick those are those are some of our great young leaders who are really helping to move this program into different cities different states and to ensure that it's not just sort of passed along, but that it's integrally connected in the same core structure of support uh, and engagement that we're trying to achieve. So, you know, really, when you when you just reach out to, to to the connections who who are listed there, I mean, these are great people who will help point people towards different opportunities, whether you live in a different city and are part of the the team that gets this going somewhere new, or whether you want to hop on the list to, you know, attend uh, one of our uh, end of year celebrations final uh, presentations of the program to see uh, how our students uh, really uh, present what they've learned over the course of the year or potentially visiting a, a fundraiser so you can you know donate a few dollars to the program and then also be in a session where you can Uh, get connected with uh, current mentors and volunteers and figure out just sort of uh, how to get on the the next iteration because every single year our volunteer membership and student membership are dynamic you know everybody applies for engagement with it and depending on however many uh students we are able to support in a given city that's going to help determine how many volunteers we can have every single year and we're we're really fortunate to have the good problem of having a lot of people who want to be involved so all we've done every year is you know we just spend time meeting with everyone who wants to be involved and try to get as many people plugged in as we can awesome
0: awesome stuff um important too to your point of expanding the program and following through Um, it's an important but often overlooked aspect of the development industry is this uplift of the next generation so appreciate you leading the charge here locally on that um christopher appreciate you coming on the show that's all the time we have for today but enjoyed it thoroughly and
1: hope you stay safe out there likewise thanks for having me on take care yeah thanks christopher bye-bye
0: Thanks for listening to Dirt Work with Adam Morrissey. We'll have a new episode out next month. If you have any story suggestions or want more info on the show or myself, hit me up on LinkedIn.